Well, good evening, church. It is good to see many of you in a virtual environment this evening. Uh, I want to welcome you. We're going to have a virtual Christmas Eve service. You'll be able to find this on YouTube and our Facebook page uh, and spend some time. We're going to we recorded our Christmas music so you can hear and sing along with us and then uh, proclaim the Word of God for a few minutes this evening. Uh, we know that this is a weird year. It's been wildly different than anything we've seen before in an American church context, and yet it's been a good thing and an opportunity for us to glorify and praise the Lord. Uh, I want to give you a quick story before we get into some singing, and then we'll, we'll talk a little bit. Uh, I stand next to a Christmas tree that we have put up in the church auditorium here. Uh, at, I don't know if you know this, but Martin Luther, the founder of the Protestant Reformation, is actually credited with uh, first decorating a Christmas tree. Uh, it was his idea some 500 years ago. You see, he had, he had six children, the story goes, and uh, is, he took them and wanted to uh, do something to brighten up their holiday season and the celebration of the birth of Christ in a different way. And uh, as he was walking home, it said the beauty of the evergreens that were near his home delighted his heart as he walked through the snow by starlight. And the little trees stood there bravely keeping their green while everything around them were dry and drab and lifeless. You think about the winter and trees shedding and there he would walk through his pine forest in Germany and see these green trees. And so it says one day he cut one down and he brought it into his house thinking to bring some of its beauty into his home to fight against the bleakness of the winter. And he wanted it to stand there evergreen as a reminder to his children that when the world was at the bleakest moment, sad and helpless and covered with a weight of sin, God sent his son everlasting life itself to bring hope in the midst of dark and chill. He explained to his children that the tree is green in the winter like our faith in Christ. It stays fresh even in a time of trouble. Our faith in Christ stays green even in sorrow. It stays alive in the midst of despair. I don't know where you're at this year, but I think those might be common emotions. And to think that our Christmas tree becomes an example of what it looks like to have life-giving faith in Jesus in times of uh, deep darkness in times of good and bad things alike that we can place faith in Christ and know that he brings life and life everlasting. said when he was uh, all done uh, bringing the tree in, Martin Luther put candles on the tree. And he said these candles remind us of the star that led the wise man to the Christ child. That was probably the first decorated tree in all of history. When he had done this, uh, he sat his children down and he taught them a new carol he had written. Good news from heaven the angels bring. Glad tidings to the earth they sing. To us this day a child is born to crown us with the joys of heaven. As we uh, get ready to sing this year and uh, spend our Christmas Eve together, whether you're coming to one of our live gatherings or joining us here virtually, uh, undoubtedly one of the things that we know consistently is that in a different kind of year, we proclaim the joys of God made man. So sing with us as you will, and uh, when we finish with that, spend some time with me, we'll talk and uh, study the word of God together.
Well, church, it's good to be with you in even a virtual environment and uh, spend a couple minutes. I want to have you, invite you to grab your Bibles, open them up to the Gospel of Luke. We're going to be in Luke uh, chapter 1 and into Luke chapter 2 this morning as we, or this, I guess this evening, depending on when you're watching this, as we uh, read the Christmas account and spend some time on Christmas Eve thinking about drawing our attention to and celebrating uh, an opportunity to worship the risen Savior. Uh, it's a it's an interesting day. In fact, uh, for believers, I think there's some interesting things to even think about. In Romans 14, uh, the Apostle Paul talks about not treating any day as more holy than others, though some have a preference to holy days. He says, as Christ uh, came, he set us free from observance of holy days. Now, I think he's talking about Jewish rituals and festivals here, and yet uh, I think there's an important thing that we remember in this, that uh, Christmas Eve or even Christmas Day, we're no closer to the throne of God than we are at all times, right? That's not a knock on Christmas. That's a glorious thing about all other days. And and yet, I think this time of year and, and today and tomorrow especially have this sort of pull, this sort of feeling that brings us into uh, a greater fellowship or communion with the Lord oftentimes because we're just, we're just doing a better job thinking about it sometimes. Because, because the reality is, it's also rife with a massive amount of distractions, is it not? Uh, there's, there's just this kind of uh, fullness to all things that go on over the course of the holiday season that both have the ability to draw you closer to the Lord, but they also have the ability to pull you away from the Lord, right? Spending time with family could be a, a God-glorifying, a God-honoring thing, and yet uh, knowing many of your family dynamics and, and my family dynamics, that it might also be a time that kind of grates against or, or pressures us or hurts us in our relationship with the Lord. And so it could be a good thing, it could be a bad thing. Uh, gifts, presents, right? are a way to express joyous love for one another, and yet uh, you watch as, as kids kind of navigate through what it looks like to be selfish and consumer-minded versus selfless and others-minded, and, and kind of dealing with both the good and bad in that. And so in all of that, uh, I pray that this evening would be a time of refocusing, recentering, letting these days be what they are, a special opportunity for us to grow in our relationship with the Lord and to remember how massively influential Christmas is in the history of mankind, that it's the hinge point of all of human history. We know this. We even build our dating system off of this, right? At zero AD is about when Christ came, the year he arrived in the world, because from that point forward, deity, God was made flesh. Going backwards, he had not yet arrived. In fact, it was always a time of great expectation. Uh, it's funny, that that word, uh, in fact, is, is to me one of the most uh, active and vital descriptors of, of the Christmas season and the last couple days. In fact, uh, we, our family, we, we travel on Christmas Day, and so we did uh, our Christmas morning this morning. We just we do it on the 24th and uh, then come and spend time with you, and it's, it's really a great thing that we have an opportunity to do. Um, and, and so there's leading up to that, this kind of expectation. Uh, we had cinnamon rolls, and so there's a, a big expectation of a good, hearty, uh, rather unhealthy 
breakfast. Uh, we had uh, opportunities to open up gifts, and, and so our kids have been kind of watching and waiting, seeing what the tree looked like for uh, the last few days, kind of trying to navigate out what gifts might be theirs. Uh, and then also, like, the expectations of kind of where you're at in life. I, I noticed, uh, for me, I, I kind of came to terms this year with, with how old I'm getting uh, as my gifts have really shifted from toy-oriented things to, like, practical-oriented things to even, like, some geriatric-oriented things. Uh, I, got, I got socks this year, and I was actually enthusiastic and excited about it. I got socks when I was 11, but I hated it. I got socks now. I was like, ah, these are nice socks. I'm really excited about this. Um, it gets worse. Uh, Whitney got me a, like, little massaging gun to deal with, like, backaches and poor muscle fatigue and all of that kind of stuff. And that's like an old person. Get like, hey, you got a lot of creaks and aches and pains these days, and so I thought maybe this would help. Uh, and then uh, to kick all of that, the best one, my daughter, uh, our oldest daughter, Clara, made me a handkerchief. Uh, I remember my grandma having handkerchiefs. Uh, I didn't know that I would get one at such a young age. And again, maybe the worst part about it, and be pretty darn enthusiastic about it. That, that all of today was this kind of realization of expectations and, and things that you had kind of awaited. And yet, uh, when we go back to the biblical account of Christmas, it is so much deeper and more meaningful to consider the ripe level of expectation that Jesus arrives to. In fact, let, let me help you. Um, prior to the coming of Christ, God's people hadn't heard from him in some 400 years. That's older than the United States. Generation after generation after generation after generation, it was dark. It was silence. In fact, the Old Testament ends in the book of Malachi with an expectation that something good is coming. In fact, if you know the history of God's people in Israel, uh, they had had a pretty tumultuous previous 400 years as Malachi arrives on the scene. They had been given this land that God had promised them. I'm going to bring you into a land flowing with milk and honey. It will be yours. From there, you will be my people. You will be an example to all the nations of the earth. And in you, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. And yet, those expectations of blessing weren't held onto, but rather uh, they began to deteriorate and crumble away as God's people disobeyed him. Like all mankind, they uh, began to walk in their own ways and do their own things, and their sin eventually caught up with them after repeated warning after warning after warning. God eventually gives them over to their sin, and they are exiled out, and their land is destroyed. And what was once the nation of Judah and the nation of Israel, God's people, are gone. They are no more. And yet, uh, in God's great love for them, after some 70 years, he brings them back. And uh, we actually looked at it in our church this uh, past year. We looked at Ezra and Nehemiah, that uh, these uh, new 
people come in after a generation or two pass in exile and they start to rebuild the city of Jerusalem and the land of Judah and they think maybe this is it. God has done it. God has brought us back to the position that he had for us. He's restored us. All of history is going to make sense now. And then uh, there's this really fascinating and depressing truth in the scripture. It's, it says that they finish rebuilding the temple of God and those who show up at its dedication service uh, are mixed in their emotions. Some are giving praises of joy if they're younger. And yet the older generation, they're weeping because they've, they've seen what it is and they knew what it was. And so out of it, in their sadness, they recognize that this, this wasn't it. This wasn't the time of restoration. This wasn't the time where God fixed and made new all things that were broken. There was still something to wait for. And not only that, but uh, the Bible continues and says the people just continue in their sinful ways. Nothing, nothing really changes in their life, in their attitudes, in their minds, in their heart. Their heart is still bent against God as it had been from the beginning of creation. And so uh, years go by, generations go by, and as the Old Testament ends, God's people are no closer to restoration and good fellowship with God than they were before. In fact, uh, as it's ending, they're being pulled away again in the land that they were meant to possess. It is about to be overrun in that inner testament period, they call that, that 400 years. Rome comes in and they take over. And though the Israelites are in Jerusalem, uh, but they're also scattered about in Judea and into an area known as Dispersia, they, they lie around the whole land and they are under a brutal and violent and frustrating and oppressive Roman regime. And the major thought, the major point of emphasis of all of God's people at the beginning of the Gospel of Luke is, God, when? When will you come? When, when will something arrive, something that will save, something that will fix, something that will restore all of this brokenness? I, I think, um, think about this hymn, Charles Wesley, this, this great hymn writer in the 1800s wrote, uh, called Come Thou Long Expected Jesus. When, when Jesus arrives on the scene, there was great expectations for a savior to come. Now, it's another sermon for another day to talk about what they expected because I think, I think the major point, as it always is, is that they would fix our problems now and yet what the truth is is they should be expecting one who would fix so much more. He fixed our brokenness, our sin condition. But Wesley goes on, he says, Come thou long expected Jesus, born to set thy people free. From our fears and sins release us. Let us find our rest in thee. Israel's strength and consolation, hope of all the earth thou art. Dear desire of every nation, joy of every longing heart. That, that Jesus comes as the meeting of the expectation of that time. In fact, in Luke chapter 1, here's, here's what happens. All of this tension, all of this buildup, and all of this Roman oppression arrives to one young virgin girl named Mary. And, and there, uh, it says in the sixth month, this is Luke 1, starting in verse 26, the angel Gabriel was sent to God from a city in Galilee 
not in Jerusalem, way off the beaten path in Galilee, in the dispersion. It was a city called Nazareth, to a virgin, engaged to a man whose name was Joseph, of the descendants of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And coming in, he said to her, Greetings, favored one. The Lord is with you. But she was very perplexed at this statement and kept pondering what kind of salutation this was. The angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall name him Jesus. Now listen to this. He will be great and will be called Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. You see, it was important, Mary being engaged to Joseph, who was of the line of David, because for a thousand years, God had promised that one day there would be a king who would come, who would reign on the throne forever, who would come from that line. And then, as the angel Gabriel appears to Mary, he says, this king is coming. He's going to meet your expectations. You call his name Jesus. The long-expected king has arrived. And not only will he be from the line of David, but he will be son of the most high God. You see, all of the scriptures had led up to that moment, to this glorious truth that God was going to put on flesh. It wasn't a change of plans. The Bible talks about it from beginning to end that this was the intention that Christ Jesus always existed and always will exist. He's the firstborn, not as in first created, but rather as in in charge. It is his, all creation, the firstborn of all creation, that in him all things were made. In fact, John uh, starts his gospel account this way. He says, in the beginning was the word, Jesus, and the word was with God, and the word was God. That it was the spoken word, the, the speaking out of God that is defining who Jesus is. He's the very image of the invisible Father. And so from Genesis 1, when God speaks and creates, he's there in perfect fellowship, in perfect communion with the Holy Spirit and with Jesus Christ, the Son of the Most High God. In fact, uh, right out of creation, you see the first... Uh, real issue in all of humanity, the fall of mankind. You know a little bit about your Bible. There's one man and one woman. They fall victim to sin. They lead themselves at the hands of a serpent and Satan in form of a certain into uh, sin and temptation and giving way, eating the one fruit God tells them not to eat, which is the issues, the heart, not even the fruit. And out of this, uh, break the cycle of fellowship and communion and relationship with God the way it was meant to be. And the Bible says that you and I and everyone else ever will suffer from that enmity with God because of that original sin. And yet, here's the thing, from there, the Bible begins to speak about the coming of Jesus. In Genesis 3, uh, 15, the Bible says that God speaking to Satan in the form of the serpent and said, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your seed and her seed. He, her seed, the seed of woman, Jesus made of flesh, will bruise on your head and you shall bruise him 
on the heel, foretelling of the coming of Christ to set us free from sin and all the while telling about his coming death on the cross. And as you just kind of walk the line down the scriptures, you see this again and again and again. A few chapters later, Noah is going to be rescued. All of the earth in their iniquity is going to be blotted out and God saves in an ark of salvation that foreshadows that one day God will come and save us from our sin through his ark of salvation in Jesus. Uh, It goes on a few chapters later and introduces us to a man named Abraham. Uh, Abram is not a good man. He hasn't done anything well or right to deserve it, but rather God chooses him and says, from you I will make you a great nation and I will bless you and from you you will be a blessing and in you all of the nations of the earth will be blessed. And then uh, years and years, generations later, Jesus, son of David, son of Abraham, comes from his line to bless all the nations of the earth. You keep going, uh, find that generations pass and time goes by and God raises up a a man named Joseph who is uh, one of the sons of Israel as the nation is beginning to move forth out of Abraham's name and he's young and he's unexpected and he travels a route of pain and suffering and yet he does so to save his people and God works all things together through that pain to save his brothers, to save his family, to save those who were his. It keeps going. Uh, You can continue to watch it through the Exodus account and God raises up a leader to deliver them out of the bondage of Egypt the same way that he would one day raise up Jesus to deliver us out of sin and death. And over and over and over again, The Bible is filled with stories in this way. Uh, As Israel has uh, been given a land from God promised to them, they stand on one side of a valley and watch a giant on the other side who mocks the very name of their nation and the name of the Lord. And they are away from him in fear until God raises up David, raises up a king who would come, one who would in their place fight for them and gives the battle to him, saving his people while they wait on the sidelines. And then uh, the angel says that you will have one from the name, the line and lineage of David who will sit on the throne for all time. That though David uh, was his ancestral great, 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 great grandfather, that David called him Lord, that Jesus was the son of David, but most important was the son of the most high God that again and again and again, Jesus meets the expectations that all things find their turning point in his taking on flesh, being born of a man. In fact, Isaiah the prophet, of the last one, and then we'll come back to Luke's gospel and finish up. Isaiah the prophet speaks about it in chapter nine. He says, for a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders. And his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. See, here's here's the thing. Jesus, as he comes to earth, is not created in year 1 AD or 2 AD or 2 BC, whatever year you might pick historically, but rather that Jesus has now humbled himself emptied himself and became the God-man who came to free us from our sin, to conquer 
sin, death, and the grave once for all. And so, so we celebrate this Christmas because God didn't stand afar from our enmity, our enemy, our in unreconciled state from him, but rather he came through his son to buy us back, to redeem us. Went like this. In those days, this is Luke 2, we'll finish here. A decree went out from Caesar Augustus that a census be taken of all the inhabited earth. This was the first census taken while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone was on his way to register for the census, each to his own city. And so Joseph also went up from Galilee, the city of Nazareth, to Judea, the city of David called Bethlehem. That was where uh, Joseph was from. Important because uh, Jesus had to be born in Bethlehem because some 700 years earlier, Micah, uh, the prophet in the Bible, said, this is what it's going to be. Out of you, Bethlehem, will come the one who saves the people from their sin. And so God orchestrating and moving people across countries to do so. says that uh, he came to register, and in order to register along with Mary, who was engaged to him, and was with child. And while they were there, the days were completed for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son, and wrapped him in cloths, and laid him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. The Bible says in the same region there were some shepherds staying out in the fields and keeping watch over their flocks by night. And the angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were terribly frightened. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all people. For today in the city of David there has been born to you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign for you. You'll find the baby wrapped in cloths, lying in a manger, and suddenly there appeared with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and peace on earth among men with whom he is pleased. As we, we finish up tonight, here's, here's what I want you to remember. In some insignificant manger, in some insignificant town, with some insignificant people, God stepped in and he changed the course of the world, buying us back, bringing his people peace and joy, peace among men with whom he is pleased. For that, we celebrate long-expected Jesus. The last verse of the song. Born thy people to deliver. Born a child and yet a king. Born to reign in us forever. Now thy gracious kingdom bring. By thine own eternal spirit rule in all our hearts alone. By thine all-sufficient merit raise us to thy glorious throne that by his merit alone we might have peace. Praise the Lord. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, thank you for the peace, peace that surpasses understanding, peace among men in whom you are pleased, that it doesn't come in our working only in you. We thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. I hope you have a wonderful Christmas. We love you. We hope to see you soon.